0: Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television, join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, did Home Alone ruin John Hughes's career, the greatest movie never made, and how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. A few years ago, when there were still 12 blockbusters open, director Taylor Morden of Here's to Life, the story of the refreshments, and Pick It Up, Sky in the 90s, approached his friend Zeke Cam, writer on Dexter's Laboratory and The Weird Al Show, about making a documentary on the dying blockbuster franchise. Coincidentally, the true last blockbuster was in Morden and Cam's town of hometown of Bend, Oregon. In this interview, the duo talk about their four-year journey of making the film, misconceptions about the story, How their documentary outline accidentally predicted the future, the magnetism of Sandy Harding, How to Cold Call Celebrities, and we get into the weeds a little on copyright law and the realities of making a documentary feature.
1: This is Taylor, um, and about four years ago, I saw a blockbuster video sign in my town. I had seen it for years and assumed it was abandoned, and then... Uh, For whatever reason, one day, my curiosity got the better of me, and I stopped in to see the abandoned blockbuster. And what I found was not only was it not abandoned, but it was thriving. It was filled with customers, and it looked and smelled and felt exactly like it was 2002 and nothing had changed. And so, you know, I considered myself a filmmaker. I wasn't, but uh, decided to try to document whatever the heck was going on with this blockbuster. And it sort of unraveled from there. Uh, So this is Zeke. Uh, Taylor had been playing around with the idea for a while. um, And I just invited him over to hang out because we're buddies. And he was finishing up at this, by this point, he was most certainly a filmmaker. He's finishing (laughs) up his second, his second feature documentary film. Uh, at the time. It was almost done. And uh, supposedly, he was just coming over to hang out and watch a movie. <laughs> and before I hit play, he said, Hey, I want to run this idea by you. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, there's 12 blockbusters left. And one of them's in our town. And I said, there's 12 blockbusters left. I thought they had all gone out of business. And uh, he said, no, there's still 12, and one of the last ones is in our town. And I had driven by it so many times and just always thought it was abandoned. (laughs) Didn't know they were still in business. They weren't very busy at the time. And uh, I just was immediately like, well, of course I have to do this. This is a great idea. Let's do it. So we started uh, formulating
0: the plan that night. Zeke, I know you worked on like Weird Al and some Cartoon Network shows. What does the writer of a documentary do? Is it mostly research-based? Is it questions? Like what does that job look like?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's probably different for every film would be my guess. Uh, This is the first documentary feature that I've worked on. Uh, And uh, for me, I just approached it like it was a feature film, a narrative feature film or a TV show. You know, what, what matters here? Uh, what's the story? And uh, just outlined like, what I would think we're going to find and how would that make an interesting, meaningful story. Uh, and then as time goes on, because of the documentary, you have to be willing to swerve the wheel and go wherever the road uh, wants you to go. But I was quite surprised that the final film is really dramatically a lot like the original outline. Wouldn't you say, Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that that's the main difference. You know, Zeke wrote up a treatment, like an outline isn't like the first week that we were working on this and we we're like, yeah, that'd be great if this ended up being the last store and if there was some drama and blah, blah, blah. I didn't believe it would all happen, <laughs> but me either. But I was like, we're going to get in there and we're going to be like, it's a very different story in here. But so. It turned out to be that was the story. So it's like writing this movie, you were more of like a fortune teller predicting the future. <laughs> <laughs> and then it yeah. all came true.
0: So, how many years total did you work on it? And then about what time did kind of Sandy become the protagonist?
1: So, between the first day when I went in and asked the owners if we could film there, this is Taylor again. Um, And the day it hit Netflix was exactly four years. So, and, you know, technically we're still working on it right this second because we're still (laughs) doing this interview right now. So I don't know how long we will have worked on it by the time we get to stop, but four years at least. um, Yeah. And I think, you know, I met Sandy on that first day and, and Zeke can attest to this, but when you meet Sandy, you become part of her family and she's one of your best friends and she still is to this day um and we knew that we loved Sandy and if there was a way we could sort of capture what we love about her and put it in the movie then everyone is going to fall in love with her and think she's you know deservedly the hero that is keeping Blockbuster alive so it became pretty obvious really early on that while blockbuster video is a fascinating business story on its own what we wanted to tell was the story of sandy and her family
0: and how they keep the store alive it's a really interesting like reverse mom and pop story that's like no one's really seen before you know
1: yeah and yet it's still mom and pop it's it's kind of beautiful uh but as far as when we decided to make sandy the protagonist uh, i would agree with taylor it's The second you meet her, you realize this is what it's all about. She's an amazing person, kind, incredibly hardworking. uh, Just she's wonderful. And I think it was that first week that I came on, uh, maybe even in the parking lot after I met her, where (laughs) we said, if we can make the audience love Sandy as much as we love Sandy this film's going to be a huge success. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Like, it was the first... I think it was the first time you went in the store. Yeah. You came back out, and you're like, oh, my God, this woman, she is... She's a star. She doesn't know it yet, but she's a movie star.
0: So this was kind of one of your first major projects. How did the, like, stylistic choices unravel? So did you... I imagine you started with Sandy, and then when did you decide to, like, you know, use the... Uh, older television set to show old clips and then how did you kind of approach some of the celebrities that are involved in that type of thing
1: well that's a few different questions um the tv and stuff i've done three documentaries they all have an old tv they all have the same old tv in them um i love like physical tangible diy filmmaking you know cutting out uh construction paper and we've got puppets and a scale model and popsicle sticks and all this stuff is in the movie. And that's just, um, I think, kind of my personal preference for an aesthetic. Uh, We're also a little bit limited by budget. We couldn't do a CGI, you know, store with explosions and, and all that. So it was easier and cheaper to do do the rest of the movie. That's for sure. (laughs) We could have just done that. Yeah. No interviews. Yeah. And then the celebrity part is a different story. I think Zeke can tell you how we kind of did that. Yeah. I think stylistically from the beginning, Taylor and I have been on the exact same page. We both have a lot of uh, similar aesthetics that we, that we enjoy. And we both agreed immediately right away that, you know, we could make this film lots of different ways. And we wanted to make a film that was gonna be happy. We wanted people to watch this film and be happy when they watched it. So uh a lot of the choices really were about reinforcing that desire. We wanted it to be a funny film that entertained people and uh, you know, we're really happy that it turned out there were some moments in there that, you know, moved moved people and made them, you know, we we've had some tough guys some strangers contact us online that look like uh look like they've just jumped off of a a motorcycle uh in a dark alley somewhere and they're like this movie made me cry and i'm like wow that's beautiful man <laughs> that's awesome that they they were moved by it that much um but you know our primary goal was to make people think happy thoughts of their past and so you know puppets yes you know cut out paper on popsicle sticks absolutely yeah and that's why it's more more comedians for the interviews too is because everybody's got a blockbuster story we might as well have it be a funny blockbuster story yeah so we picked our you know some of our favorite comedians and they uh some of them were friends as friends um and other ones Taylor just contacted cold on Instagram or through various ways. And almost every single person we asked wanted to be involved because everyone had happy memories of Blockbuster.
0: So like, did you know that Paul Shear worked at a store or was that a coincidence? Oh no, we knew. We knew, yeah,
1: we did the research. We wrote a list early on of people who had worked at video stores and, or Blockbuster. Blockbuster would be ideal, but, you know we could only really track down Paul Shear and Adam Brody um but yeah Kevin Smith worked at a video store uh Darren Hayes I think even Brian Posehn had worked at like a video and record yeah. store so it was better obviously to have people who experienced it from both sides cuz everyone's rented a movie but if they also have worked behind the counter that's way better Yeah. And like Doug Benson, I never worked at a video store, but he toured and in every single town he went to, the first thing he did was go to a blockbuster and rent videos to watch when he was, when he was going to be in the hotel. So he's been to probably more blockbusters than anybody else on earth. Yeah. And the one we didn't know, um, we reached out to Jamie Kennedy because he had played a video store clerk in Scream. And we thought, Oh, that's, And people like Jamie Kennedy, he's funny, you know, this will be a fun story of like the research he did for that role or whatever. And then he totally surprised us with his story of being in those old blockbuster commercials. We had no idea. He sprung that on. Yeah, he saved that. He saved that until we were actually interviewing him.
0: Tell me about some of the editing stylistic choices. So like as one example, you're talking to Doug Benson and I, I understand you really need people kinda of talk in sound bites. So you actually left in the part where you're talking to Doug and I mean it's kind of comedic. Was that the main purpose of leaving that Q and A part in?
1: I think we wanted to we wanted everyone to feel like how we felt. And every you know, the town of Bend is a character in the movie and uh, Taylor and I both have always loved documentaries where you get a sense of who the filmmakers are within the documentary because you can't film something without affecting it. So you're part of that documentary and it just didn't feel honest to hide that. Yeah, honesty is probably the right answer. I just felt really honest to put that in there and, you know, fun and lighthearted and this is something that's important to us the subject matter is important to us so it felt kind of beautiful sounds like a weird word but it really kind of felt right and beautiful to have us be sort of characters in the background that are passionate about this idea and hopefully that passion is shared by the person watching it yeah and they the um very first cut, a lot of this credit goes to our editor, Tim, who is, um, yeah um has a lot of the same sensibilities and the same sense of humor that we do. And I remember when we watched our first rough cut that he sent in, it had a lot of that stuff where we're talking off camera. And at first it was like, oh, kind of cringeworthy. Right. Like, I, I didn't know we were going to be in this movie. Uh, But it makes so much sense and it really does humanize, you know, with a, like, low-budget indie movie like this, I think it's fun for people watching it to be along for the ride, to be like, oh, I get how they made this movie. They just talked about movies that they love with cool people. I feel like I'm part of it. It works really well, I think. Although the Lloyd Kaufman bit where I get to, every time I watch the movie, I get to relive one of the most awkward moments of my life, (laughs) talking to Lloyd.
0: So tell me about some of these like celebrity interviews, like how do you prepare for that? Do you, do you ask them all the same questions? I imagine you have like maybe less time with Kevin Smith. Like how much time do you try and schedule? What are the kind of questions like and what's the thought process behind that?
1: It's a little bit of all of that. When you say Taylor. Like Yeah, we have questions that we ask everyone, but then we also have questions that we have prepared specifically for specific people and yeah. it's really about having a conversation you know you want to be open you don't you know you could just write the whole thing and use artificial intelligence to have it sound like the people are saying what you need them to say but the beauty of a documentary is actually discovering what the people are going to say so you know you listen there's a lot of listening involved and then hopefully your questions you have questions that are just in case you know yeah. like in case nothing else happens we can have answers to these questions but you listen and come up with questions on the spot hopefully that uh involves what the person's answers were from the last question yeah and the questions evolved as we went along you know we started with with one idea of what the story was going to be but then as you start talking to people themes start to emerge and so you know you might just get rid of some of the questions that no longer apply i would say our first set of interview questions was like a full page longer than our last set of interview questions yeah absolutely you realize like some things don't resonate with people whereas you know things like the the physical sense memories of like smell and touch resonated with everybody and yeah, you know, we didn't necessarily expect that to be such a strong
0: recurring theme. If you were like giving advice to some first time documentarians, documentary filmmakers about maybe that outreach like on Instagram or some of the social sites, like is the advice to like keep it short and sweet? Like, are you just saying two or three sentences? How do you kind of start that approach?
1: Oh, man. Well, of uh, an expert, but I, I would say, tell them you're making a film about blockbuster that's what i was gonna say it really helps if you've got <laughs> if you have something to offer you know um yeah and then as you go along we certainly you know once jamie kennedy's in your movie you add that do you want to be in this jamie kennedy's in it and then kevin smith Do you want to be in this kevin smith is in it etc cetera, et cetera. like by the time we reached out to lauren Laptus, who is the narrator who is amazing and hilarious I sent her a message that said, hey, all of these comedians that you are friends with are in this movie. Do you want to be in our narrator? And she was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. So, I mean, definitely it helps if you're not starting with nothing. And we started with Blockbuster Video as the star of our movie, which is a huge help. But I've done it for other movies. And it really is just, you know, reach out. Tell them why you want them to be a part of this thing that you're doing. And if it clicks, it clicks. And if not, you can't be, you know, you can't get butt hurt when somebody who gets a thousand messages a day doesn't reply to yours because it's tough. <laughs> yeah. Persistence. Don't is not forget. You're asking them to do you a favor. So yeah. word it like you are going to give them, like they're going to get something out of it. You're yeah. a stranger. So, you know, don't think about what, like, don't say it would help my documentary so much if you could be in it. Of course right. it would. Right. They know they that. don't care about that. Yeah. 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 Tell them how it's going to do something for them, you know? Hopefully you have fond memories of Blockbuster and would like to share that with my audience, you know, something like that.
0: Did you also kind of go in order of maybe who might be hard? Like, did you contact the people that might be most likely to say no at the end when you had more, you know, borrowed authority or how did you, or where did you decide to start that list at?
1: Uh, I'm super impatient. So I think I reached yeah. out to everybody on day one and then yeah, I just think we followed up with varying <laughs> levels of frequency. <laughs> Yeah, now that you mention it, it would have made a lot of sense for us. That's a great idea. Until after, I wish we thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, we might have landed Quentin Tarantino if we waited till the end. Yeah, almost everyone we asked said yes. Yeah. So really, having a great idea and presenting it correctly is your best bet. Everybody wants to be involved with stuff that's
0: great. What kind of besides maybe Jamie Kennedy's commercial, like what surprised you most about this documentary?
1: Well, that was that, that was a huge surprise because Jamie Kennedy was acting like he didn't really want to do it, like it felt like he was pushing back a lot, like maybe giving us a hard time almost even. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think he's not gonna, I said to Taylor, I think he's gonna not even show up for his interview. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, we, yeah we had confident. a bet going,
1: <laughs> yeah flew down to L.A. to interview him, and we were pretty sure there was a decent chance he wasn't even going to show up, and it was at his house, mm-hmm. so like he's going to just not be there or not answer the door, but yeah. meanwhile, he had this whole surprise plan, which was awesome. It was really a great experience, but yeah, other than that, I think, probably just, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think for me, like I went into this thinking for sure Netflix is the reason Blockbuster went out of business. and yeah. I also thought, for sure, one of these stores in Alaska is going to be the last one. And when neither of those things turned out to be the case, I mean, I was surprised, but we were so wrapped up in it and along for the ride that it was just like the twists and turns are exciting. As a storyteller, you're like, oh, it's not the thing I thought.
0: That's great. So aside from the, you know, the footage that you shot personally, I, I've asked a few documentary filmmakers this in the past, and it seems to be like a gray area. But with some of the like archival footage, like you show a clip from Captain Marvel or these news clips or or like John Oliver, do you need to seek permission for everything is, is some of the like does fair use really applied? Like, do you have any general advice on that? I know, that obviously, you're not giving legal advice, but just any general advice on that. Yeah, our
1: advice our is get advice, a lawyer. Yeah, get legal advice. <laughs> You'll notice if you watch the credits of our movie, there are more lawyers listed than any other crew position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's for exactly that reason. Uh, we're just creative types. We're not legal scholars. I mean, I know, like, some things we license, some things we fair use, and it's all it, – there's like a 70-page document that comes with this movie for distribution that explains how every clip goes. That is yeah. way over what my head. Save up a decent amount of your budget for lawyers. Yes. Uh, if you want people to see the film, you know, you can just walk around and hand people memory sticks with with mm-hmm. your film on it. But if you want to make any money from your film, then you're going to have to sell it to somebody, and that person isn't going to buy it if you don't have lawyers telling them they're not going to get sued. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the rules are. It matters what the lawyers say the interpretation of
0: the rules are. Okay. So it's like co- copyright lawyers for every single scene like that, I guess.
1: Yeah. So without without exception. I mean, yeah. We we had to write the time code of the film of where each clip was and where we got it, and I mean, anybody who's done a documentary that's gotten distributed knows you can't get it distributed without that book mm-hmm. of where everything came from and who owns the right thing. I think they call it chain of command or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's not just it's not just archival stuff either. It's every sound you hear, every piece of music, every photo. Like, like, where did it come yeah. from? Who's in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so you guys do the first, like, pass at that, all the information you can, pass that to the lawyer, and then kind of go back and forth that way, I guess.
1: Yeah, a team of lawyers.
0: Sorry, yeah, I just like Man, to stuff the, we
1: had to take out, yeah. for sure. Not the funnest part of making a film. <laughs> right. Not for me, anyway. <laughs> no.
0: What, what percent of time, you think, goes into just that? I mean, is that a giant bulk of your time working on the film? It's not mm. insignificant.
1: Yeah, I'd say of post, since we had a great editor working... Like, it became our primary task. And it's not, it's, it's like all of it together, you know, because we're coordinating with composers and uh, music supervisors and, you know, the editor and the lawyers and all these things. So it's like, it's no one thing, but it is a whole bunch of spreadsheets and emails and, like Zeke said, not the fun part of filmmaking.
0: Is there any specific advice you pass along, or anything specific you learned while making this movie that, if you could, you know, go back and give yourself different advice three or four years ago? What, what might that advice be?
1: Finish before the pandemic, so it gets in the theaters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, stock up on toilet paper and sell it all in March 2020. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the... oh, Bitcoin. Yeah, buy Bitcoin instead of instead of making the movie. Buy Bitcoin. I think it's, it's really tough because uh, I've done three of these documentaries now and they're so different. Every documentary is a different beast and it's done a different way. And there's no piece of advice really, I think that applies to all documentaries. I, I think unless you have a big budget, then they're probably more similar, but you know, it's, you're doing whatever you can <laughs> we had bags packed by the front door with cameras and microphones in them in case Sandy called in case something happened. And those sat by the door for yeah. years Yeah. because there's it's not much you can call. do. There's not much you can do to prepare for like, yeah. Oh, the story we've been following is now the last one in the world. And it's getting a huge amount of media attention. And you know, your job changes from yeah. just like going down there whenever and meeting with the customers to like, oh, the New York Times is at the store. We have to be there now. Like, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's so different from movie to movie, from project to project. I mean, I guess the the advice I would give is like, be uh, flexible, be adaptable, be ready for anything because you can't predict what's going to happen.
0: And yeah, and and point, I,
1: would dance. I, I would say that we're very fortunate that we had this so it's not something i would tell myself to change in the past but if i was just giving advice to someone who wants to make a feature documentary film is most likely you're not going to make any money most likely you're Mm. going to lose however much money you put into it so don't think about the money make sure you have a subject that you really really care about right and this this would be my advice even if people we're likely to make money uh, because it takes a long time and it's very, very, very hard work. Much of it is fun, but it's all hard work. So make sure you have a team that has the same goals that you have. You know, Taylor and I had, Taylor and I were on the same page for almost everything. And when we didn't agree on something, we figured it out. So make sure you're working with people that are talented, that are on the same page as you, that have the same goal. And, Love what the subject is because you're going to be drowning in it for
0: years. Okay, perfect. I think that's a great place to stop. Unless there's anything else you guys want to say, like current projects you're working on or anything like that?
1: I mean, or I would say would like, right. Uh, I think we're going to say the same thing. If you liked our movie, be sure to pick up a physical copy from Blockbuster um, while they still have them because you can... Order the DVD from Blockbuster, and a kid in a Blockbuster uniform will take pick, pick it off the shelf, put it in a box, mail it to your house, and if you open that box, it'll smell like Blockbuster video inside. And that's that's what it's all about. So be sure yeah, to pick up a yeah. copy today. BendBlockbuster.com. That, yeah, BendBlockbuster.com. Hold that DVD in your hand, and then hit play on that Netflix. <laughs>
0: Thank you for tuning into the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.